Welcome to Bored Women, a podcast that explores the world of women and confidence through the lens of board sports. This is about finding time for you and reconnecting with the joy and adventure in your life. I'm the founder, Caroline Keylock, and I'll be speaking to women in their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond who are pushing the boundaries of what their bodies can achieve. We'll also feature confidence coaches who can help us break down our fears and perimenopause experts to dig into our changing bodies and minds. It's like the combination of like the athleticism and the sort of spiritual experience of being in the sea. It makes me feel happy, it makes me feel free and it makes me feel like I'm actually living. Today's guest is Nikki Woodhouse, founder of Sister Motion, a commercial production company. She set it up to close the gender gap in how women are portrayed in media. Since becoming a mum, she's determined to create strong role models for her daughter to look up to. She's also an avid surfer in her 40s. Just to give a little bit of context of how Nikki and I first met, we were introduced by a mutual friend and my friend Michelle basically said, oh my God, you have to meet this woman who does all of this crazy stuff and she's into all of these sports, but she's also totally transforming how women are seen in media. So I just thought it was a conversation that we needed to have. I'm not sure all the stuff I'm doing is crazy, um, <laughs> but you know, I am I am trying to make a difference in my industry and I'm definitely a very, very keen, passionate, if not slightly average surfer. So we have a question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast and that question is, is when did you last fall? Obviously, as a surfer, I'm continually falling off my surfboard. Um, unlike skateboarding, perhaps other board sports, falling off is always included in every ride you have because that's kind of how you exit the wave. Uh, but I suppose metaphorically, running a new business and setting up a creative agency is really, really hard. And I guess I'm falling all the time in terms of having knocks and setbacks as I kind of create system motion and we try and win new clients and get more women on board to be in our collective and sometimes those falls are really difficult and they take a while to get over but I think that um, falling as a surfer and having big slams and falling in business teach you a lot about yourself that's why I think it's often quite symbolic the sort of parallels between my sport and running a business in which I'm sort of you know a female in a male-dominated world having to sort of rally against the sort of stereotypes of women in media and also in surfing. How have you got better at taking those slams over time? Experience and learning to try and not take things personally I think you know I've been in this game in production for 25 years now and I've kind of worked across sectors so broadcasting politics and now content and advertising and I think it's just having the experience to know that sometimes when people say no to you especially if it's a creative idea um, it doesn't mean that that idea is rubbish or not worthy it's just maybe that they're not it doesn't align with their priorities with the brand priorities at the time and just yeah learning to take it not so seriously um, and 
being more forward looking rather than looking back all the time at sort of failures, I think. And well, that's what I tell myself. Sometimes it's <laughs> it's harder to do that in, than it is in practice. But, you know, we try. Tell us what sister motion is, just so we've got a bit of context about the fantastic business that you're building. So, yeah, sister motion is a creative production agency. And we try and create opportunities for women and underrepresented talent and work with brands and businesses that want to tell stories and amplify and celebrate the achievements of women. So it's a a new business. We've been going less than two years now. And really, it comes from my own lived experience of having been in production for 25 years and working as a director a lot on set where I am the only woman in the crew apart from the hair and makeup artist you know really got me thinking that you know things needed to change and I thought that Sister Motion working with a predominantly all-women team would offer something really new and interesting and unique to brands and yeah so we're we're sort of a couple nearly two years into our journey and we don't have the backing of a big organisation and, you know, someone building us a pipeline, bringing us projects. So it is really, really uh, difficult um, a lot of the time to kind of keep the the pipeline going and keep the steady flow of work. But I feel like some of the projects we've been doing are really exciting and I really feel that we're kind of, people are getting to know about us and appreciate that we're offering something different and yeah, it's exciting. I read this quote that you'd said that I just really loved and I think speaks to perhaps the moment where you decided to start the business where you'd said, where are all the bold, strong female protagonists who my fearless five-year-old daughter can look up to and dream of being one day? Can you explain the thinking behind that a little bit? Yeah, so I became really analytical about the idea of gender when I became a mum to Nancy. Um, She's now seven and she is an awesome little tomboy, just like I was when I was little. She's learning to surf, she's into BMX and she runs at the world 100 miles an hour. And I guess I was worried for her about the effect that content and advertising can have on limiting her self-belief like so many adverts that we see on tv still fall back on these really lazy stereotypes of women like loading dishwashers wrangling kids into the back of cars and they they those sort of images of women don't speak to me and they're not the sort of images that I want Nancy to so to look at and think that's my life when I'm older. It really chimes with me. So I run another business where one of the things that we do is train people how to do storytelling really effectively. And and in it, we have lots of examples from films, from novels, from all sorts of areas of great character building, you know, great areas where people have established the jeopardy of a story right at the beginning. And one of the things we always do is try and make sure that the representation of that is really diverse so that, you know, we're speaking to all audiences in an equal way and you start to realize when you do that analytical work as you said that there is so much less brilliant writing for female leads there is so much less representation of very strong female characters you know it goes through every level doesn't it so I love that what you're doing with your business is trying to 
to work at all those levels to solve that end problem but you know really thinking about it in perhaps a way that businesses and the industry at large haven't done previously yeah and i think the the problem is is that the production industry is so gender imbalanced like you know for years i've been going out onto set and being the only woman in the crew a lot of the time apart from the hair and makeup artists which i've which i've mentioned but it's it's actually when you look at the industry it's the women who are in the administration roles the production roles they the women are facilitating quite often male creativity um you know allowing male directors to succeed by basically organizing great shoots and it's kind of just a systemic problem i think in that women can't see how they can become directors or creative directors because we have the problem of having to raise children at a critical time in our careers late 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 mid 30s you know if you want to be a creative director at a big agency and really make a mark you have to kind of live and breathe your work and so it's very very difficult for women who want to have a family to also do that as well and so they leave the industry and then you're left with these appalling statistics that you know only 7% of commercial directors are women and only 11% of creative directors are women and this is why i think we still have these lazy outdated stereotypes of women in the commercials and the content that were fed you know simply because at the end of the day it's men who are devising and executing these campaigns so this is why i think it's really vital that system motion kind of makes the case and educates clients and businesses about what the problem is and invites people who want to make a difference and want girls like Nancy to have positive role models to kind of reach out and you know i guess work with us and want to just tap into the female mindset in an authentic way and i love the fact that your communications you relate those very low statistics of women in those roles to the fact that I know you quote that 80% of purchase decisions are driven by women. So really representing that audience accurately is key. I think that realisation of you're selling to them, you need to depict them accurately and aspirationally is, is so key. It's not a complex argument when you think about it. It's like, okay, so your target audience and target consumer is women. So who is the best person to come up with content and creative ideas to serve those those consumers it's women so it feels it's not rocket science it's just basic common sense there's big brands out there like H&M have just had this hideous faux pas with this campaign which is basically sexualizing children in school uniform and there's been other examples of brands recently it's like well you know who is it that's coming up with this with these ideas you know I'm sure it's not a heavily female weighted team who have devised and executed that campaign. You talked about the correlations between you know your sporting journey with surfing and the journey that you've been going through with Sister Motion as your startup. Can you tell us about your journey into board sports and because I know you've covered a few in your journey and you told yeah. me some quite amusing anecdotes when we first met. So yeah, I I grew up in Birmingham in the 1980s and it was a cultural desert and I'm not really sure how um because it certainly wasn't the influence of, you know, art 
or culture or sort of in-person experience, but I got really fixated on the idea of skateboarding and desperately wanted a skateboard. And when I was 11, I was given the choice between a drum kit, which I also really wanted, and a skateboard (laughs) for Christmas. The drum kit, I think, was fairly expensive, maybe even back then, maybe a couple of hundred pounds. In the end, I, I got the skateboard it was 9.99 from Argos. <laughs> plastic wheels, a really old school kind of pear-shaped deck with a big kick tail and a big plastic kind of I don't know what you called it on the tail to basically stop the edge of your deck wearing out. And this thing was total rubbish, and I I loved it, and I spent hours in our garage because it had a really smooth like concrete floor basically learning (laughs) to tic-tac learning to ollie and I used to go into town and buy skateboard magazines and I'd cut out the brands like independent trucks and the hands from Santa Cruz and I'd basically cover the awful Argos deck graphics on the underside with these premium skate brands and like carry it around town like I was like a cool dude Um, but there was no there was nowhere for me to go and skate when I was about 13 there was a skate ramp built at our local leisure center and it was there for like one amazing summer and then basically some kid had this terrible accident on it and I think he might have died and they basically ripped it down and that was basically the end of that so and then you know you get into being a teenager and you know, your priorities change and kind of like, because there was nowhere to really skate, even by this time, I'd had a few different boards and they gradually kind of got better in quality. I didn't really improve. I was like good at like basically skating down a hill and doing a few like kick flips and that was basically it. So like the board sport thing didn't really start up again for me until like the early, my early 20s. And then I basically got really into longboard skating for a while. Um, Also was a bad snowboarder. Um, Haven't snowboarded for about 15 years was the last time I went, I broke my arm. And this was after basically having a few van shows with my friend, (laughs) getting a bit cocky and just clipping my edge on this really easy it could have even been a green run, like bombing along, clip my edge, bang onto my arm. My bone was like almost sticking through my skin. Oh God. Oh gross. And then with surfing, it was at the end of a holiday in Bali. I ended up having a day where my father and his girlfriend and the friends we were with had all flown home. And I had this day spare in Kuta beach and basically went down to the beach, hired a foamy just played around in the white water and absolutely loved it. Stayed in the water all day, got like a massive rash from the deck on my thighs, um, but was like, oh my God, I absolutely love this. And when I returned from that holiday, I ended up temporarily moving to Cornwall because my boyfriend at the time was working there. And this was the summer of 2006 and basically spent that summer and the following year like learning to surf. And the rest is history, so they say it was um, it was a bug and um, is still the sort of most exciting, well, still the thing in my life that brings me the most joy apart from my family. 
So how does it come to life now for you? Like, is it something you get to do all of the time? You know, how, how much has it taken over? So after those couple of years living in Cornwall, I ended up having to move back to London for work. And I split up with the boy I was with and I joined the London Surf Club. So for, for years was going on these surf trips with this with these people that I actually didn't know at the weekend. You just turn up, meet the person, get in the car with them, go off surfing. And it led me to meeting my husband, Ben, and we moved to Devon in 2018 and so basically we could surf all the time so now we live here and I suppose I get to surf whenever the conditions are good so the week before last there was a really big really big nice swell and I surfed four out of seven days would have surfed probably another time but actually could have borderline got hypothermia after one of them came out the sea and stayed in too long and like it was it was pretty cold um but then last week didn't surf at all and probably won't surf this week because I've got a bit of sickness um so yeah it just depends on work and family commitments but in an ideal world I would surf every day and I'm certainly working towards that being the reality certainly in the medium to long term. I feel that goal. I I have the exact same goal. Um, Tell me a bit about, so obviously I know the system ocean and everything you've been doing with that, that outdoor sports has been quite a big part of that or what you'd like to do with it. So tell me about the link between the two. Yeah, well, I suppose when we were creating our visual identity, I guess I wanted the identity to reflect me and my personality in that I'm a tomboy, I'm outdoorsy, I love nature and the outdoors and so do Claire and Laura and Becky and the girls that work with me. So yeah, we we had a sort of brand photo shoot down here in Devon in the one of the areas of outstanding natural beauty and we have been working in the sort of surfing space doing a project with Surfing England for International Women's Day last year where we basically organised a paddle out um, on International Women's Day which is March the 8th and had 54 ladies bracing icy conditions to paddle out and form a circle of celebration in the sea that project really felt like the first project we did that really embodied all of sister motions values in that it was Mm -hmm. obviously a subject close to my heart but it was about celebrating women who are marginalized uh, and fighting for their place in a male-dominated space tell me about when you're in the sea and when you're surfing how does it feel for you? Yeah, I suppose when I'm surfing and I'm in the water and I'm paddling, I just feel, even though I'm not really fit, it does make me feel fit and athletic and like my body is like working in harmony with the sea. And it's like the combination of like the athleticism and the sort of spiritual experience of being in the sea. So yeah, it makes me feel happy. It makes me feel free. And it makes me feel like I'm actually living, you know, especially if I'm in cold, freezing cold water and it's being slapped in my face. And I love the fact that I'm not contactable in the sea. Like my idea of hell is having an Apple watch that someone could like message me on. Like I just want when I go in the sea to just know that I don't have to speak to anyone or look at a screen for that sort of hour and a half or whatever it is. 
And like, I, I just feel free. And especially when I don't have to surf in a wetsuit. Like we were just out in Barbados over Christmas for a few weeks and surfing in a bikini and like hanging off your board in the Caribbean Sea with your legs dangling is the most like fantastic sensation. You know, I am a little bit obsessed with surfing, but I know that it does me so much good and feeds my creativity. And there's been a few instances which I've, you know, got my best ideas in the sea. It's a slightly different experience when you do it somewhere warm, isn't it? And you haven't got your five millimetre wet sea and your hood and your gloves and your boots and you're like looking like a... uh... (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's like a different sport. And it's a shame that we have to bother with all of that here. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather surf and be in there enjoying it than having to sit out and watch, which, you know, 20 years ago, the brands didn't make wetsuits for women, certainly not wetsuits that were good enough for going in the sea at this time of year when the air temperature can be like one degree and the sea's nine degrees. So we just have to be grateful that things have caught up and there is the the equipment now for us to be able to get out there and enjoy it. Have you had any challenging moments in the surf? I will now not go in the surf if it is... Like the other week I was surfing and it was, say, two two feet overhead and that's really pushing it for me. And I only caught two waves and then I got out and got really cold. Um, And I think it's... When I was learning, I was quite gung-ho. And it's because you don't know the sea. You don't know how to read the forecast. And I got myself into some situations where I had some really, really terrible hold downs. And in Morocco, actually, my board smacked me in the head and cut my head open on the side by my (sighs) eyebrow. So, yeah, now I won't put myself in that situation. Um, I did let myself get taken by a friend to a sort of secret spot down here in North Devon on a big storm day, and we stayed in the water too long, and it turned into a shore break. It was basically six foot, six foot waves breaking onto boulders, and he actually had to come in and rescue me from that. That was actually not that long ago, probably three or four years ago. And I basically knew that we probably should have got out. But because I was with him, I kind of thought, well, he knows, you know, I'm with him. It will be fine. But I should have trusted my own instincts and got out. So, yeah, I have been in challenging situations, but I'm not into surfing for that. Like I have enough challenges in my life and enough kind of adrenaline that I do it to relax and have fun and I don't want it to be scary that's not why I do it I know you said to me when we last spoke that when you were in your 20s you had some confidence issues and that surfing helped so tell me about that a little bit I have had various issues I think well firstly as a teenager I think when I was like 15 going through all that sort of awkward stage at school I felt very sort of unsure of myself and unconfident and that kind of carried on into the early years of being in a career, I was working in broadcast TV, which is essentially very ruthless and actually populated by, in some cases, quite unkind people. And I, it was at the sort of point of being sort of 27, 28 that I realised that TV was not for me. And, and weirdly, that is when I took up surfing. And I felt like as soon as I took up surfing, my life started to feel like it had a bit more purpose and meaning. 
to it and I found something other than the pub and drinking that I could do that really made me feel happy and I think being in your 20s is well for me certainly it was not an enjoyable time it was a wild and crazy time in my life and I did some amazing things and traveled and you know went to festivals and had a really incredible experience but I don't know whether I was necessarily that happy Mm -hmm. and finding surfing and finding something that just I love to do that's actually good for me basically I think gave me sort of some sort of inner peace and inner calm and confidence that I knew if things were going shit I knew that I could do something about it in a positive way so instead of going to the pub or going on a bender get in the car drive to the coast go surfing sort your head out and still to this day, if I am having a shit time, I know that going for a surf will make the world of difference in terms of snapping me out of it. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because you, you almost talk about it as like an alternative high that's actually good for you. And yeah. I, I know lots of people, and myself included, who, as they've got a bit older and particularly have started going through perimenopause, etc., have found that alcohol just no longer serves them. You then go in search of well, how can I still have my highs and my, you know, feeling of just pure life enjoyment and these sports slot in there really nicely and also provide a reason for why you can't drink the night before you do them because you'll be too anxious to do them. So for me, it all happened around the same period of time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely in perimenopause. I'm 46. Uh, I think I've probably been in it for about two years and my tolerance for alcohol is like zero the idea of going out on a big night like actually physically scares me (laughs) (laughs) instead of looking forward to it I start thinking well what can I do to mitigate the risks of this you know and I really should just give up drinking altogether but I guess I'm I'm like Kate Moss she says she's 80% sober and I think that's probably fair to say me too yeah I think though it's one of these things where you don't necessarily have to declare that you're teetotal. Like I would say for most of the last year, I've not really been drinking, but I maybe have had one drink every few months or something like that, yeah. but really no more than that. And there was just suddenly a year where it all clicked and I just didn't really want to and kind of went off the taste of it as well. And it just, it fell out of my habits. And then I would go back and have one And it just didn't even seem worth it when I'd done it. And then that meant that the next time I was tempted to have one, I'd be like, well, is it worth it? Or would I rather go skating or surfing tomorrow? I'll probably do that. And and the trade-off has been really connected, actually, between the two in, in a positive way, rather than it feeling like there's deprivation. It's almost like I get to do extra things because I'm not messing myself up for a few days by feeling awful. Yeah, and also I think it's made me a more patient, and tolerant person particularly towards my daughter like I can get up with her on a Saturday at seven o'clock and not not be moody and like snappy at her and like get up and go and take her to the park or to the beach or whatever and not be like feeling absolutely hanging and yeah that's been really a real benefit of the not drinking let's go back to um the role of surfing for you as you've got older and you've gone through perimenopause and and also just I guess acceptance of you as a woman at 46 in the sea how have you found that well I 
know that my enthusiasm for surfing far outweighs my skill and ability and <laughs> you know that's always been the case since you know I started surfing at 28 and I'm 46 now so even when I was in my 20s and first learning I was pretty average still then it's it's the act of doing it and the enjoyment I get from it now rather than about the like feeling like I have to perform um and I've kind of just accepted that you know I am 46 and I can't stay in the water for like six hours a day like I might have done when I was 30 like you know I just don't have the energy or the physical fitness to do that and I'm kind of at peace with it and I also know there's a few women I know who are older than me around here and they surf really, really well. And like you look at Kelly Slater, he's in his 50s and he's still, you know, the greatest of all time and still surfing better than uh, practically anyone. So I think it's weirdly surfing is a sport that you can do in middle and late life and still really enjoy it and not kind of feel that you're in some way lesser of a surfer and I think you can almost gain respect the older you get from from others in the sport which seems to be the, the opposite of you know like football you don't see old people playing football so surfing's good like that. Why do you think that there is this movement of 30 plus women who are getting more engaged with these sports, you know, wanting to give them a go in their 40s and their 50s? I think social media has a lot to do with it and the fact that the women are, who are surfing and skating and snowboarding can share the photos of them doing it in a way that 20 years ago you couldn't. And so I think women almost need to see the evidence to believe that they can do it. Like one of the things that we use in our presentations with Sister Motion is that the phrase from the Gina Davis Institute on gender that says, if she can see it, she can be it. And so I think with social, you know, even if someone's only got 300 followers, but they're posting lots of photos of them snowboarding or whatever, that's going to probably encourage some of their friends to think, oh, well, I'd like to have a go at that. So I think in that respect, you know, social media gets a lot of stick. But in terms of encouraging women to try things, I think it's perhaps really good. What do you think some of the barriers might be? Because I, I do think they exist at this age. There's a couple of friends that I have who live locally, both of whom can surf, but both of whom have had a break from surfing. And when I kind of say to them, you know, just come for a surf, just come and do it. It's almost like they want to get ready to go for the first surf so they're like yeah I just need to get a bit fitter before I go for that surf or I just need to practice this before I go for that surf and I'm always like or you could come and surf to get better at surfing <laughs> like that would be oh yeah that would sure. be the, <laughs> the thing I mean to the do. best <laughs> practice for surfing is surfing and um <laughs> I think there's levels of enthusiasm and I am like, you know, as I said, maximum enthusiasm, little ability. And I will want to surf <laughs> no matter over anything else. Like you could offer me tickets to see you two in the Las Vegas sphere, which I was looking at. They're, they're $550, by the way, plus the trip to Las Vegas. Um, and I would rather just go surfing than do that so you're sort of talking to the wrong person about that perhaps but I just think women are you invent blocks for yourself 
And a lot of it is to do with imposter syndrome and a lot of it is to do with how women are treated in board sports. In surfing, there is still prejudice against women in the water. And it's one of the reasons why we partnered with Surfing England to work on the event for International Women's Day last year to kind of celebrate the women that do surf and give them a safe space just for that day to paddle out because unfortunately men do look at you as a female surfer and assume you can't surf so you might be sitting patiently waiting for your turn waiting to take the wave and a man will just basically snake you and take it because he thinks that you you're not going to go and I think that I've had situations where, and I still to this day know that it's true, that if I paddle out into a pack of men and the surf is decent and I paddle for a wave and I'm, for whatever reason I don't catch it, that's me like written off because they will, they'll go, oh right, okay, well she's shit and they'll sit near me and just basically it it's game over, like I have to move to another spot on the beach because... You just there is a natural inbuilt bias, I think, that men just assume that women can't surf and therefore will just sort of like be dom really dominating in the water. And I think to some women that is really intimidating. Like it oh, makes stories me angry. like that frustrate me. Yes, exactly yeah. that. Because um, I've had it too, and I'm sure any female surfer's had it, especially if you go to a knee break and no one recognises you you know just that assumption like you say that okay well we're just going to override all of the etiquette that exists around this and then just take your turn because you won't get there quick enough so I may as well and it's it's so frustrating the yeah the lack of welcoming nature that there can be in surfing in particular to beginners at one level but also experienced women at another yeah. level it's it's super frustrating what would your advice be for for women who perhaps are feeling a sense of imposter syndrome or a sense of I'm not ready yet, I've been out of the game for a bit or, you know, my fitness isn't up to it, I haven't done it before, but I really would love to give it a go. I think you need to find your surf sisters. You need to find your tribe and go surfing with them because there's something amazing about surfing with a group of women. And like down here in Devon, I'm fortunate to be a member of community surf group and it's all very low key it's called Saunton and surf sisters you can find us on instagram and we've created uh, whatsapp groups and we'll get in touch with each other and go you know rain or shine and if the conditions are challenging having your mates there with you to cheer you on is really comforting and i think there's just safety in numbers and there's something i think quite joyful about learning a new sport like surfing that where you fall off and you make an ass of yourself with with a friend so that would be my advice is to find your surf mates and go with them and just try and take it not too seriously First of all, a big thanks to Nikki because she was really ill for our interview so it was so good of her to go ahead I really related to her points about her journey with surfing, mirroring her journey with her business. It sounds trite, but the ups and downs of both really are connected and both require a huge amount of guts and determination. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like, review and share with your friends. It really helps to get the podcast noticed. We have a big vision for bored women and we want you to be part of it. 
So check out our upcoming events and how you can get involved at Bored Women on Instagram and boredwomen.co. I'll be back in a couple of weeks when I'll be talking to Merida Miller, founder of Project Fearless, a not-for-profit getting young girls to increase their confidence. <laughs>